from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit slash hypergig with details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the ups and downs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're remembering a lesser-known tragedy one that served as an inauspicious start to an otherwise bullish decade, the Roaring Twenties. The day was September 16, 1920. A horse-drawn carriage rigged with a makeshift bomb exploded on the busiest corner of Wall Street. It was detonated at 12.01 p.m., just as hundreds of workers were leaving their offices for lunch. The explosion killed 38 people and severely injured hundreds of others. At the time, the Wall Street bombing, as it came to be called, was the deadliest terrorist attack ever committed on American soil. The event would hold that odious distinction all the way until 1995, when the Oklahoma City bombing claimed the lives of 168 people. But unlike that case, the culprit behind the Wall Street bombing was never positively identified, and the crime remains unsolved to this day. The events of that fateful afternoon were later pieced together from the reports of surviving eyewitnesses. Shortly after the lunch rush began, an unassuming man driving a red horse cart stopped on the corner of Wall and Broad Street. 
right in front of the USSA office and just across from the building of famed financier J.P. Morgan. The driver quickly dismounted and slipped away into the crowd. A few minutes later, the cart exploded in what one witness described as, quote, two sheets of flame that seemed to envelop the whole width of Wall Street and as high as the tenth story of the tall buildings. Thirty of the closest bystanders were killed instantly. Eight more later died from their injuries, and over 300 people were injured either by the blast or by falling debris. The explosion was so powerful that it overturned several Model Ts and derailed a streetcar a full block away. Shrapnel and other bits of debris were launched high into the air, and the streets were littered with broken glass, charred bodies, and severed limbs, including those of the horse who unknowingly delivered the bomb. Smoke and soot filled the air for blocks in every direction, and the noise from the explosion was reportedly heard all through Lower Manhattan and even across the East River in Brooklyn. The nearby stock exchange suspended trading for the day as thousands of New York City policemen and Red Cross nurses began to search the wreckage for survivors. At first, it was unclear if the explosion had been intentional or just by accident. There was always construction going on downtown, and dynamite was frequently brought in by horse cart for use at the building sites. In the beginning, investigators thought one of the workers might have blown up a cart accidentally, but as they combed through the debris, they soon found telltale signs of foul play. The bomb casing used in the attack had been packed with dynamite and topped with hundreds of pounds of iron weights, the stackable kind used in window sashes. These weights were intended to act as shrapnel, cutting down anyone who managed to survive the blast itself. Investigators found enough identical metal fragments at the scene to safely conclude that the explosion had been no accident. However, the motive behind the attack remained elusive. J.P. Morgan's bank would have seemed like an obvious target, except Morgan himself was on vacation in Scotland at the time. His son Junius was wounded by the blast, and his chief clerk, Thomas Joyce, was killed. But most of the victims weren't wealthy businessmen at all. They were street vendors, construction workers, stenographers, and clerks, regular people who were just on their way to lunch. If the bomber had meant to send some kind of political message, it wasn't clearly reflected by their victims. Adding to the uncertainty was the fact that most of the damage was cleared away overnight, including evidence that may have been key to identifying the attacker. The forensic science of the day still left a lot to be desired. The Bureau of Investigation, the precursor to the FBI, interviewed hundreds of witnesses, but their accounts suggested little about who had carried out the attack or why. In the end, the most promising lead on that front was a series of letters discovered shortly before the explosion. A mail carrier had found four printed flyers left in mailboxes about a block away from Wall Street. They demanded the release of political prisoners and were signed by a group that called itself the American Anarchist Fighters. That revelation put a name to the potential perpetrators, but the actual members of that group were still a mystery. At the time, many Americans were fed up with the wealth inequality that had been growing in the country for decades and was perhaps best exemplified by Wall Street billionaires like J.P. Morgan. That disillusionment had led to numerous violent protests in the U.S., 
including dozens of other less deadly bombings stretching back to the late 1800s. Most of those attacks had been blamed on various anti-capitalist, communist, and anarchist groups as part of the nation's first Red Scare. The Wall Street bombing seemed to be the latest in that series, but neither the American anarchist fighters nor any other group ever claimed credit for the attack. Still, the flyers discovered did provide a few clues. Namely, their tone and style, including numerous misspellings, had a lot in common with ones sent the previous year in connection to bombings in several U.S. cities. Police had attributed that terror campaign to a group called the Galeanists, a gang of Italian anarchists led by Luigi Galeani. He had been deported in 1919, but his followers may have carried out the attack on Wall Street on his orders. The iron weights used as shrapnel seemed to lend further credence to that theory, as they matched the ones previously used by the Galeanists. The Bureau spent several years chasing that lead. They searched cities all along the East Coast, trying to track down who had printed the group's flyers or who had sold them their iron weights. But all the agents found were more dead ends. The investigation continued for the next two decades, but in 1940, it was quietly dropped. Today, the FBI believes the Bureau had it right all along, and that a small band of Italian anarchists truly were the ones responsible. The conclusion was drawn from the best available evidence, but nonetheless, it's still just a likely theory. The morning after the Wall Street bombing, New York's financial district reopened for business. Broken windows were covered up with canvas or boarded over, and many office workers returned to their desks with bandages and slings. Their doggedness was meant to send a message to their fellow citizens and to the people who had planned and executed the attack. Business in New York would continue as usual, bombs or no bombs. In contrast to later terrorist attacks, no memorial or monument was ever created for the Wall Street bombing of 1920. But if you visit the site of J.P. Morgan's old building at 23 Wall Street, you can still see the pockmarks where shrapnel struck the facade. The damage was never repaired, which in a way is a fitting tribute in its own right. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.